Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, June 19th, 2022 called From Death to Life, given by Pastor Chris Simmons. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. You heard we're talking a lot about trains today, right? We say God uses our backgrounds to kind of glorify him and things like that. A little background about me. I was raised in Chicago. You can go to the next slide for me, right? I was raised in Chicago, and where I lived, we were two houses away from a train station called Hollywood Zoo Stop. There was a zoo not far, so the train would stop there all the time. Trains would always pass by so people could go to the zoo. But we were on a side of the tracks. There was only uh, two, there was one way in and two ways out, right, of this little kind of area that we had in our neighborhood. So um, when I wanted to walk, and I had to walk every day to elementary school, you never guessed what I had to do. I had to cross the tracks. And then in middle school, when I wanted to go to middle school, you never go, had, guess what I had to do when I walked to middle school? I had to cross the tracks. Guess what? When I went to high school, you'll never guess what I had to do. <laughs> I had to cross the tracks. And then when I got my first major job, worked at Starbucks for seven years, I was living at my parents' house when I started there, and you'll never guess what I had to do to get to work. I had to, no, I had to cross the tracks twice. The same set of tracks even, right? So I show you this because when a freight train would go by, and if I had to wait for a freight train to go by to get to work, and it was moving slow, meaning I knew it was going to stop, I knew I, I couldn't go that way. Because guess what? When the freight train passed, I would go over, and then I would drive this way, and guess where I had to stop again? The same freight train drive me absolutely crazy, right? But in, if you've ever been to a city, right, you know that trains can be a really big part of transportation. Here, trains would go in and out of Chicago all the time. My line at the stop we were at would go from Aurora to Chicago. So if you went on there and you got on the train and my train stop and it was heading this way, you were going to Chicago. And if you got on that train and you were heading this way, you were heading to Aurora. Exactly. You got the idea. This train had two destinations and it ran back and forth all day, no matter kind of where you went, along with everything, right? And if you've been to a city like New York that's got a big subway system, or, or even Chicago has a big subway system, or even San Francisco, they got a trolley system, right? You get an idea of where you're going based off the destination, right? If you're, in, um, you're on a subway in New York and you see a little train, it's called the red line, and it goes around in a circle like that, and there's a big red line on the map, guess what? You can be pretty confident and know the train is reliable. No matter where you get on that train, it's going to follow that loop. If you get the green line, it's a little green dotted hash. It's always going to follow the green line on the map. It'll always have the same destination back and forth, back and forth. But maybe you've never ridden a train, right? But I know Pocatello is a big train town, but maybe you haven't ridden a train. If you get on I-15 and you drive south, you're going to go where? Salt Lake. And then where does, it, where does the line end, though? Where does the highway end? Do you know? I had to Google it. San Diego. Exactly, right? If you get on I-15 from here and head south and never get off of it, you will end up in San Diego. So even a highway has a destination. But, you know, highway's got freedom. You can get off an exit. You can go off of this. When you're on a train, you don't get off at exits. It doesn't just turn right all of a sudden. You are going all the way to that assigned destination. And I bring that up today because it really leads us into our text, right? If we go to that first point, point one, which is this. Sorry, I'm going to jump around a little bit. You can go to the next one for me. 
Thank you. Point one is this, right? So as uh, Paul is teaching the, the church in Ephesus, he writes, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the way of this world and the, of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. He's referring to the devil there. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So my first question for you is this. You can go back now. How can you be dead yet live? Right? That first sentence, you were dead in your transgressions, and yet you live like the way of the world. Well, hold on. How can I be dead yet live? We're going to answer a few questions, and as we go through this lesson today, we're going to unpack some really beefy big church words. So maybe you'll you get a sense of kind of things. Things I saw eyes light up. Great. That's the first person ever that's been excited. about. We're unpacking big church words today. If you go, to the, go back to the next slide, sorry. And as for you, you were dead in your transgressions. We're going to unpack that word transgressions, right? When was the last time you ever transgressed somebody? Not so sure. I couldn't have told you until I looked it up, to be honest, right? If you look at that word transgressions, sometimes if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you read this again. It's also translated as trespasses, right? And when you kind of go to the root of the, the original language to find out what this word means, transgress means to slip off, to drift away to intentionally go into something wrong, right? So transgress, to slip off, to drift away. If you use the word trespass, you get a pretty clear idea. If I trespass, I go over this line, I trespass onto property, I'm somewhere where I shouldn't be and deserving of punishment for it, right? So that's the word transgression. You have slipped off. You've moved into something else. So let's go back to the railroad tracks, right? We got two sets of railroad tracks, and they're running parallel, when we were created, we were on this set of tracks. By the way, just so you know, this side today is heaven. And you guys, ugh. so just for the metaphor, just for the metaphor. So don't, whenever I refer to you, don't go, oh, this is just for everything. This set of railroad tracks, right? This is what we were on. Adam and Eve were created. We were created in living in harmony with God. That's what heaven is. That's what heaven means, to live alongside God in harmony. What a wonderful gift. It was like the Garden of Eden. They walked alongside him. They were naked, and they just had a great time. That sounds weird. But, I mean, like, just like they were unashamed. That's what I'm trying to get to. They didn't feel a need to cover up. They didn't know sin. But then the temptation came, right? And they gave in to that temptation. And what happened is that was a transgression. Now they went from this set of tracks, living in harmony with God. Now all of a sudden... They have slipped off to the side. They have slipped off, and now, instead of the destination being living in harmony with God, the destination becomes God's righteous wrath, right? Because they've sinned, they've transgressed, they didn't listen, they've trespassed where they shouldn't have been, and that destination is God's wrath and death. So we have this set of tracks where we have slipped off, and now we're born into this set of tracks, Right? That's what we heard in our readings today. We're born into this. We can't seem to find a way back over to these tracks no matter how hard we've tried. We're born into a world that is broken. And the destination is God's wrath and death. And we look at that and we go, gosh, I just really want to get back onto these tracks. Yet when we talk about we can't make it a work of our own. Have you ever tried to pick up a train before? Yeah, probably not. And if you haven't, I've tried. It doesn't get very high up off the ground. Um, not at all, actually. Right? So if you try to pick up a train and move it to a set of tracks, it's impossible. So it is with us. 
It can't be a work of our own to get back onto this nice, righteous set of tracks. We're stuck on these, and my sin is heavier than a freight train. There's nothing I can manage to do because even if I were to try, I get distracted. I want to stay even on these tracks. Because, see, it goes back to that question, how can I be dead yet live? To answer that, we actually go a little bit back to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul talks about this word predestination, and he talks about it a lot. In chapter 1, he says, before Christ, I was predestined for this. With Christ, I'm predestined for this. Apart from Christ, we're predestined. He uses the word like five or six times in one chapter. So to unpack that word, because that's a pretty like meaty word, predestination. I like to unpack it into two different words. To simplify it, we have two words. We have predetermined and destination. To be predestined is a predetermined destination. It's like riding a train. I know when we lived by a train called the Red Line, it started, you got on with the White Sox played at the U.S. Cellular Field. You could get on there and you would take it all the way to Chinatown. I knew when I got on this train, my destination was predetermined. It's going to Chinatown. I know that, right? I get on any train. If I get on the train here at Aurora, I know it's going to Chicago, The destination is predetermined. That's the way the tracks run. Just like we talked about I-15 South. I know when I get on that, if I never get off of it and I keep driving south, I'll get to San Diego. Why? Because that's the way the road goes. My destination is predetermined. I know where I'm going. And apart from Christ, what Paul's talking about with predestination, I'm here. The destination's death. It's been predetermined because the destination is already there. No matter how fast or slow this train may go, it's going to the same spot. And we've trespassed. We are stuck on these tracks. Yet simultaneously, we read this and uh, verse 3, as Paul continues, he writes, All of us also lived among them at one time on this tracks, gratifying the desires of our flesh. And following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. You know, you're on this train, but we, uh, we like it too. We like to gratify the desires of our flesh. We like to give into the things our mind is telling us that we need, that we need to get. The things that I selfishly want, I like being on this train. I don't focus on the destination when I'm on this train. Focus on the journey. I like the journey. I like giving in. I like gratifying myself. So much so that I even will forget about where I'm going and where it leads. I like the journey way too much. We are dead, yet live. Because, yeah, maybe we are alive as long as we're on this train. But our destination, our destiny, our predetermined destination is already set. I'm on the train leading to death. That's where we get the idea, dead man walking, right? My destination's already death, even though I'm on the train, yet somehow I live. Because it won't be for long. Does anyone want to get off this train? Yeah? I know everyone's going to stand up and move to this side of the room now, right? I want to get off this train. I don't want to be on this train. I don't want to keep heading that way. So how do we get off this train? This is not the destination that I'm looking for. 
Do you know how a, chain, a, a, train, a train changes tracks? It's called a railroad switch. If you can go to the next image for me. What a railroad switch does, especially in older days, right, when it was very, very manual, they would go to this manual switch. You'd grab it and you'd pull it and the blades would shift as they would encounter the next set of tracks. So you could see where the two become one as we're on one set of tracks. The blades shift and now there's even a nice little light on that one, right, to show you that's the nice one, right? Our tracks have shifted, but they've shifted Oh, no, they shifted that way. Yeah, you guys are still doomed. But uh, they shifted. <laughs> They've shifted into the light. This set of tracks that you're on now changes course, so you're on a new set of tracks. Yet there's something about that that's very particular. A train doesn't do it by itself. The train is just, is it going to run and somehow hit the switch and you, you change direction? Someone has to be there. Someone has to grab the switch. Someone has to pull the lever so the blades line up and they take you on to a new course. And that's how we get off this train. We're going to go to Psalm 51. That was our Old Testament reading today, and it was picked for a particular reason. I'm going to give you some context and, like, the, as best I can, the Reader's Digest version. Quick thing, I didn't know what Reader's Digest was my entire life. What it means is, like, an abbreviated, like, contextual idea of what the story is. Right, so Psalm 51. What happens before this? David should be out to battle, but he's not. He's king over all Jerusalem, and he's standing on his balcony, and he overlooks, and he sees a woman bathing on her roof. I don't know why they had baths on the roof then, but he saw it. Right, so he's over there, and he says, I want that woman. And his servants say, hey, <laughs> King David, you know, he, she's got a husband. He's actually one of your best warriors, and he's out fighting for you right now. And David says, I don't care. I want that woman. So they bring her, and they commit an act of adultery together. They sleep together, and she becomes pregnant, because that's what happens, right? So she's pregnant, and he goes, oh, no. It becomes a Jerry Springer episode, right? He's like, what am I going to do? You're, you know, he, Uriah comes on back. That's her husband. And he's like, I know what I'll do, right? It becomes a sitcom now. I know what I'll do. I will get him drunk. And when I get him drunk, I will make him sleep with his wife. So then he doesn't really quite remember or realizes that she's pregnant, and boom, my problem's solved. He'll think it's his son. The problem is Uriah, right, is so loyal to King David. He says, King David, I, there's no way I could drink. There is no way I would go home to sleep with my wife. Not, not right now. There's a war going on. I'm fighting for you. He's too loyal, and now it's a real problem. He's like, oh, man, this guy's too good. What am I going to do? So what he does is he takes him, and he says, all right, you're my loyal soldier. I'm going to move you to the front lines. So then when you go into the next battle, you will surely die. And that happens. She becomes a widow. He dies. And now King David's like, ah, oh, my problem's solved. Right? And he takes Bathsheba into his house. But see, David has a buddy. His name is Nathan the prophet. And Nathan, here's the word of God, Nathan takes uh, King David back up to his balcony. He says, King David, what would you do if there was a rich man who oppressed a poor man and took everything that he had for himself? What would you do? And King David says, I would kill him. How dare somebody do that to one of my subjects? <laughs> and Nathan's like, well, guess what? That's you. Ugh. So then David writes this psalm. Because he knows that he has transgressed. He went from the man after God's own heart, and he has slipped off. He has drifted away into sin. And it's here where David 
he writes, Create in me a pure heart, O God. And as we go through these verses, realize David knows he can't get himself back onto the tracks. He's asking God to do things within him to pull him back. Lord, get me back into your path of righteousness. Get me back over to here. Get me back on the set of tracks that lead to life. So David continues as he says, O God, and renew a new uh, steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. I love this part here. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Even the man after God's own heart has transgressed. He has slipped off the tracks into righteousness and embraces sin. And we too have slipped off the tracks. We too realize there are times where we've transgressed, where we go to the gratification of ourselves. We've not only slipped off the track, we've drifted into sin. Our priorities have changed and we ride that track further and further down, closer and closer to the destination. I was talking with a friend this week. We talked about incremental changes kind of within leaderships and organizations. And in particular, we talked about turning the Titanic. There's a reason they saw the iceberg and they still hit it, right? You can't turn the Titanic all that fast. But even one degree of change over the course of time takes you way further away from where you were at before, right? Even the Titanic, a big ship, one degree of change takes you far off the path that you thought you were on until 10 years later, you say, what happened? Where am I? I I wanted to be over there. I wanted to be on that set of tracks. I only made one degree of change. What's the big deal? Why is it so different? Where am I now? The longer you ride those tracks, the further away the other destination seems to be. And the purpose of this psalm David's talking about is this. He needs to be restored. And we too need someone to restore us, right? We need someone that will be over here who will shift our tracks, who will go to that picture, and he will be the one that shifts the blades, who pulls our manual switch while the train is running. We need someone to change our predetermined route. At the beginning of this reading in Ephesians 2, we read this. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. This may sound like a silly example, but a corpse can't bring itself back to life. Right? You can't be at the hospital and all of a sudden you flatline and say, Someone give me the paddles! And you grab the paddles yourself. Someone give me some of the jelly. Great, I'm ready to go. Boom! All right, my heart's beating again. Who wants coffee? It doesn't work like that. Right? When it does work, it's someone else that comes to the paddles comes with the paddles when we flatlined. Who charges them? Who rubs them together? Who shocks us? And let's say our heartbeat comes back. What does the person, when they shock them and they see the heartbeat come back, what do they say? I have revived them. I heard it over here. I have revived them. I have resuscitated them. I have brought them from death back into life. We read this and we go to, I'm going to jump around, sorry, to John chapter 5, verse 24 over here. These are the words of Jesus, right, where he says, Truly, truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. 
You see, it's the words of Jesus that revives us. His promises that he made and he gave to us, his very own life that he sacrificed for us, that charges the paddles. And he comes over to where we were flatlined and gives us back his, our own lives. Through him, he shocks us back into life. He continues over here. Very truly I tell you, and this is verse 25, a time is coming and has now come where the dead, where we were flatlined, where the dead will hear the voice of God, and those who hear will live. He revives us. He changes our course. He changes our destination from death. He pulls us into life. All all those who hear his voice and believe by faith, because it's faith that grabs hold to those words, are shocked and revived back into life. And that brings us to our third and final point here, which is this. Mercy and grace. What is mercy and what is grace? We're going to unpack this a little bit because it's the last two verses in this section of Ephesians. So hear this. Starting at verse 4. But because of his great love for us, that great love being the action of Jesus Christ for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions, when we had slipped off those tracks and our destinations were death. It is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace you have been saved. And when we unpack these words, mercy and grace, sometimes they get used synonymously. Quite often, not just in church, but even in just any domain. We're going to unpack kind of what those two words mean, starting with mercy. Right? Mercy is the act of withholding. It's the act of withholding a punishment that you deserve. Right? Uh, An example being, as I locked eyes with the principal over here, it would be a student arriving late to class. And the teacher is supposed to give you a detention. And the teacher says, I will not give you this detention. I will withhold this detention from you. This is an act of mercy. An act of mercy would be not giving you, withholding a punishment that you indeed deserve. So we have that teacher in detention. And we often understand within our world there's a finite amount of mercy. Right? A teacher withholding a detention. But guess what? If you're late tomorrow, I'm giving you two. Right? Or you're late paying your cable bill. And they'll say, you call them, they'll say, all right, well, this time, this one time, we'll withhold the late fee. We won't charge you the late fee. But if you're late two months in a row, all of a sudden you call them again. They're like, hold on, our records indicate you were late last month. Sorry, I'm not giving you any more mercy. I'm not cutting you any more slack. You have to pay the late fee. That's a finite amount of mercy, but our God is different. He has he's abundance of mercy. He is rich in mercy. He is withholding, holding back his wrath that we deserve that he's talking about here. And let me ask you a question. Does withholding wrath sound like something that's active or passive? It's pretty active. You ever try to hold a guy back in a fight? Right? You probably haven't. We're all good Christian people here. You wouldn't be in that sort of situation. Right? Or have a guy in a full Nelson trying to get out of it. Trying to withhold something, hold something back, is a lot of work. And God is rich in mercy. Time and time again, every transgression, every sin, he says, I'm holding back my wrath. I'm withholding from you the punishment that you deserve. I'm holding back a train. Because see what God's wrath is. If we're on this track over here and it leads to death, on the other end of that track, there's God's wrath. Right? And it's another train, and it's coming for a head-on collision. And God says, I should just let this go. I won't even let you get to the destination. I'll meet you halfway. 
My wrath should be coming for you, yet my mercy is what withholds it. But see, it's not the mercy that saves us, as you see up here. It is by grace you have been saved. Because even if he's holding back his wrath, we're still on the destination. We're still going to death. It's a predetermined track. I know where I'm heading, and God's holding back the wrath, but I'm going to meet it eventually, unless my destination changes. And that's where the word grace comes in. Right? What's fascinating, you see this, it is by grace. It's underlined and it's bolded because I want to bring attention to it. I'm going to nerd out on you for a second. When you go to the original text that's written in the Greek, it is by grace is one word. And it's a word that you know. It's charity when you read it in the Greek, but you know it in the English as the word charity. Exactly. The word charity is where this originated from, or this originated from the word charity in the Greek. And you know what that is, right? Charity is an act of charity. It's me giving you something for free, and you don't have to pay for it. I'm giving you something that you need. My, my, my low IQ example that's for myself, right, is someone orders a pizza. And I, someone rings my doorbell, I open the door, and there's a pizza there with the pizza guy. And I go, I didn't order a pizza. And he says, I know. Someone else ordered it. Well, then you have the wrong house. No, no, no. Someone else ordered it for you. But I don't have any money. And he says, it's already been paid for. Tip included. Yes. And hands me the pizza. And I go, this is grace. <laughs> this is love. <laughs> right? As I receive the pizza, that's what an act of grace would be. Right? And it, it, it can go deeper. You know, maybe, I have tr- maybe I'm having financial troubles. Maybe I'm having trouble feeding my family. It's such a great gift. Something I didn't deserve that was given to me without any cost to me. That's what grace is. And that's what we're saved by. Given something, not by our cost. There was a cost, but not one that we incur. Someone else paid for it, like someone else paid for my pizza. And we get to receive it undeservedly, but it's something that we so desperately need. It is by grace that Jesus stands on this set of railroad tracks. God's wrath, that other train, is coming for a head-on collision, and Jesus takes that wrath for us, the wrath that we deserve. He goes to that destination of death for us, and he stands on these tracks to grab hold of that manual lever to pull it so that our train has a new destination. And we're set on a new set of tracks. And we get to dwell so abundantly in those gifts here, especially at church, and fellowship with other Christians. That means friendship and spending time. We get to live and we get to be reminded of how much Jesus has pulled by His Word, right? By His grace, the Word that we get to read and promises we get to read in the Bible. We know when we spend that time, we are reminded constantly, Jesus has taken this on. He shifted your tracks. Right? When we get to partake in communion up here, his very own body and blood given and shed for us. We're reminded of that death that it took to shift our tracks as we get to be here. As we had that prayer of confession, and you heard Pastor Dinger do the absolution. In that time of confession, we confess, Lord, I can't lift the train. I'm heading to death. And up here, we get to hear that absolution. Jesus has taken that upon himself for you. Right? In the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die. To take on God's wrath, to head that way for you, 
so your tracks could be shifted and you can ride all the way to eternal life and forgiveness with him. So let me invite you today, you know, there's that train and it leads to death. Allow me to encourage you to be in that presence of God. Be in that presence in his word. Be in that presence with one another. Be in that presence when you're here in worship like you all are. But hear that we were destined for one thing. Predestined. Predetermined for one thing. Just like all, it was funny, someone said, all roads lead to the same place. And I was like, yep, they head that way. But there's been a shift in the tracks. And there's a new destination. An old destination. Our original intended destination to live in harmony with God. And to enjoy being in his presence. We've been restored from death to life. And it's all because of Jesus. And it's in his name we all pray. And all God's people said, amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.